brought my family with me, kind of. You'll see a picture of my amazing family on the screen right behind me. And uh, that amazing woman next to me, her name is Marlena. We've been married for 20 years. And we're at that really cool stage in our friendship where we've known each other longer than we've not known each other. And this uh, dude with a hat, his name is Logan. He is 15 years of age. And at 15 years old, he has bested his dad in height. He is six feet, one inch tall at 15 years of age. And we figured that out about eight weeks ago. Here's what happened. We were standing in the kitchen before school. And my daughter says, Dad, Logan's taller than you. I said, son, kick your shoes off right now. And so we're back to back, right? You know, like it's time to measure up. And he got me. He got me. And I was like, well, you earned it. And I saw his chest kind of puff out a little bit. And I was like, I have more money than you. And so, which is pretty important if you think about it. Now, this ball of joy seated uh, in the picture, her name is Camden. And she is 19. I don't know if any of you have children like that in your lives, whether they're 17, 18. Well, she is nine. And she got me so good a while ago. And this is what happened. She was being super cute. I said, Cammy, listen, um, you are so cute. I can't stand it. She stopped. She said, do you want to know what I can't stand? I'm like, what? She said, your jokes. I said, you're grounded. Go to your room. And, but she gets me like, she gets me all the time with these good one-liners. She's just awesome. Um, and as a family, though, um, we are always on patrol because of that golden retriever. She's not looking at the picture because it's out of sheer guilt. Here's why. Um, she is a sock hunter killer. And her habit has cost my family at least $100 in socks. We live in a farmhouse that was built in 1906. So it has that stairway that goes up, platform, 90 degree turn, and then up to the second level. The other day, I was walking upstairs, and there Bailey was. She had this purple mash in her mouth. I'm like, that's a sock. And so I said, Bailey, drop it. She did not drop it. I said, Bailey, drop it. And her tail starts to wag. I'm like, girl. And so I walk up, it, it drops to the floor. It's this purple pile. And I'm like, I can't tell if this is my daughter's sock or my wife's sock. And so I walk up to Marlene. I said, babe, is this your sock? And she said, do you honestly believe I could fit into that sock? Looking down, I am holding my nine-year-old sock. Now, in marriage, you have to know when it's time to pivot, okay? And so I'm like, it's time to pivot. So I said, babe, of course I believe you can fit into the sock. There is nothing you can't do. She didn't think that was funny. I thought it was pretty clever. Now, as a family, though, we're committed to this idea that students deserve the opportunity to live better, Right now, the American teenager needs to know that somebody's in their corner. Right now, students in this room and students connected to this church and students in this city, they need to know that their life has dignity no matter what has happened in their life. They need to know their life has purpose and they're not here by some accident. They're here because God created them with a purpose. And so Youth Alive the organization that I get to lead has been focused on 6th through 12th graders. And one of the main ways that we serve students all over Wisconsin, all over the Upper Peninsula, is through mental health assembly programs. And I want to show you a picture of my friend in action. His name is Terrence Talley. This is a 
a middle school, high school gymnasium. There's 500 6th to 12th graders in this room. And my friend Terrence, he's funny. He gets teachers dancing. I'm serious. And then he shares a positive mental health message. And at the end of that talk, he challenged all 500 students, get up, move around, and find three students that you're going you're gonna to tell them, I've got your back. And he said, no cheating. You can't just turn to your left and say, I got your back. You have to stand up and walk across the gym and tell a student that you don't normally do life with, I've got your back. I'm with you. We don't have to be friends, but we don't have to be enemies, right? And so students are moving around. Some are like high-fiving. Some are hugging. Some are weeping because they haven't had someone affirm their dignity in a while. And the principal would later tell me that she walked up to this young lady who just the day before, the staff was convinced that this young lady hated all of them. And here's why. Every adult in this young lady's life had failed her. Everyone who was supposed to provide for her didn't. Every adult who was supposed to protect her didn't. And so she was left to figure it out on her own. And what happens when you're 13 years old and you don't have adults in your life fighting for you? Well, you, you start fighting to survive. And you start building walls. And you start trusting no one. And so this young lady had the staff convinced that she hated all of them. Now, her story doesn't excuse her response, but it explains it a little, right? And so the principal told me that after Terrence spoke for just 50 minutes, and he released the students, tell someone you've got their back. Tell someone you're in their corner. The principal walked up to this young lady and said, I've got your back. Now, she didn't know if this young girl was going to shoot daggers out of her eye. Parents, you have no idea what that's like. Um, <laughs> and this young girl, with a warm smile, said, I know. 50 minutes is all it took for Terrence Talley and for Youth Alive to come into a school and to set the table for students to affirm each other's dignity. And so during the day, there are zero religious concepts that we present. We get to share the gospel at night in a separate event with the church. And I wanna show you a picture of some of the other people we get to work with. These gentlemen that I get to work with are some of the best communicators in the nation. In fact, tonight I'm picking up Reggie Dabbs at the airport and for the next three days, we're gonna go reach students in central Wisconsin. It's gonna be awesome. Now, I wanna show you the next picture and just show you how many students we've been able to reach since 2010. And you can see the numbers over 240,000 during the day. 240,000 students face-to-face, -face, we've been able to go to their school and tell them there is hope for you. Now, here's what's cool, in the evenings, in a separate event that the church sponsors, we get to share the gospel. And over 15,000 students have heard the gospel. And over 2,400 have said yes to Jesus. Absolutely. We can thank God for that. And every person that prays for Youth Alive, every person that sacrificially gives to support Youth Alive, I get to tell them that's their fault. Kind of cool, hey? Now, by a show of hands, how many of you have a smartphone on you? Some of you are wondering, so why are students the way that they are? We've had 
pandemics before. We've had world wars before. We've had racial unrest before. We've had economic uncertainty before. Have all four shown up at the same time? Possibly, I'm not that great of a student of history, but those are, like, those are big, right? Here's what we haven't had before. And it's not bad. Some of you expected me to go on a rant and start bashing technology. No, I love technology. Heyday is my game, I'm just saying. So um, I'm a really good farmer. So the, the point though is this, how many times a day do you think the average American checks your smartphone? If you think it's more than 25 times, raise your hand. More than 50 times a day, raise your hand. More than 75 times, you're not putting your hand down until I get to 1,000, I can see that. Um, 90, 90 times a day is the average times an American checks their smartphone. So if you understand averages, some are way more, some are way less. I shared that 90 statistic with a youth group last year, and a kid on the front row, not kidding, said, lightweight. So I was like, dang, son, you need to maybe get some help for that. Now, if you're handed a smartphone at 12 years old and 90 times a day, your attention is drawn to this. In 365 days, one year later, your attention will, be have, will have been corralled over 32,000 times by this glowing rectangle. And then from 12 to 18, if you multiply by six, six years, over 197,000 times your attention has been corralled by this glowing rectangle. Again, technology is not bad. How many of you hitched up your horse and buggy and came to church today? <laughs> Technology's great, it's awesome. But I'm an Avengers fan and I, I like the Marvel movies and there's this character named Thor and he's got a hammer and you can only wield it if you're worthy. But here's the deal, his hammer can transport him anywhere. This can transport a student anywhere. His hammer can break a lot of things. This can break a lot of things. So the way that we move forward is actually as adults, we model healthy technology usage. As adults, when students are in the room, we put down our phones and we engage students. That's how we help students feel dignity, is that we lean in to their world. Now I know I just waxed eloquent on the realities of technology, but if you would put up the next slide, please. Um, um, yeah, follow me on Facebook, please, okay? And then go to Instagram and follow Youth Alive there too. Uh, it's gonna help you stay up to speed. But I would love to come to Marquette and bring a mental health assembly to your schools. I mean, as early as possible, fall of 23, spring of 24, we can make it happen, Captain. If you want to see that happen, grab one of these on your way out. Give it to the decision maker at your schools. We do public, private, Christian. We'll go to any school. Why? Because students are everywhere, and they all need to know that they matter. They need to know that they can live a better life. Give that to the decision maker. My contact information is on the back. Also asking everyone to grab one of these on your way out and just pray. Pray for my family, pray for this ministry, pray for this movement, because God is doing great things through Youth Alive. 
So Pastor Kevin, thank you for this opportunity. It's a privilege to be here today. I do believe that we'll be able to serve Marquette and get to students with a message of hope. I believe that, and I'm trusting with you for that. Now, as I shift gears, because I'm going to finish talking about Youth Alive, and now I'm going to talk about life. I'm going to talk about three big truths that if you believe them, they will change your life. This right here is a carbon monoxide detector. Carbon monoxide is a toxic gas that has the power and potential to end your life. And right now, if you don't have one of these in your home on every level, I give you permission to pull out that glowing rectangle right now, go to Amazon and buy one for every single level of your home because this will save your life. I'm a volunteer firefighter, which is the most legitimate excuse I have as a full-grown man to ride on fire trucks. <laughs> and we had a call several years ago, and somebody's carbon monoxide detector went off. We showed up. Sure enough, the house was full of toxic carbon monoxide. If they didn't have one of these, here's what would have happened. They would have sat in that environment, and eventually their vision would have gotten blurry. And then eventually they would have gotten confused. And then eventually they would have fallen asleep. And then eventually they would have died. And you think about life now, um, spiritually speaking, lies are like carbon monoxide. And God has given us a carbon monoxide detector, a lie detector. He's given us a book that speaks truth. The written word of God is literally a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. This is our help. And every believer, every person that follows Jesus needs to read this book. And so this book can help us identify the truth because it matters. And the sooner you get the truth into your heart, into your mind, the sooner your life will begin to improve. I have a question. How many of you have ever heard someone say the following phrase that you're about to see on the slide? God would never give you more than you could handle. Like, weren't you tempted to give them more than they could handle? Like, like why do we say that? Is that even true? I don't think it's true. And if you read the Bible, you'll discover that in the book of Hebrews, which is in the kind of back half of this, it says that God allowed people who loved him to be, and this is graphic, so I apologize, but he allowed them to be sawed in half because they loved him. Like somebody didn't like them because they loved God, and the punishment for that, them loving God was literally to be I'm guessing that was more than they could handle. And then, if you go to the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, we read about God's deliverance of his people from the oppressive nation of Egypt under Pharaoh's oppressive rule. And as they're leaving Egypt, they get to a place where they're being chased by the army from Egypt that's trying to pull them back into captivity, and they've got the Red Sea in front of them, and they are trapped. The Bible says in that moment, they're screaming and they're crying, they're stressed. Was that more than they could handle? 
uh-huh. Yes, absolutely it was. Yes. So what should we believe? It's important that we let God speak. And here's what Jesus says to his friends in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things. What is that? He gave them a lot of really bad news. Go back and read it for yourself in the 16th chapter of the book of John. But he's like, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will never have problems. You'll get to eat Cheetos for days and only drink Mountain Dew forever. Is that what Jesus told his friends? Absolutely not. In this world, you will have that word in the original language is tribulation, which is a fancy way of saying, ouchie, mama. Jesus is telling his friends, it's gonna hurt. So buckle up, Betty, and hold on, Hank. It's gonna get rough. And then he's like, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So the lie says God would never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. Here's the truth. Are you ready for it? God would never give you more than he can handle. Because Jesus has overcome the world. He is the savior. He is the champion. And because he has overcome the world, you don't have to be strong all the time. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all together because God is keeping it all together. He'll never give you more than he can handle. Here's the second fib that people told me when I was going through a tough time, and here's the tough time. In 2011, my middle daughter, who you did not see in my family photo, was brought to her doctor for a checkup. Her pediatrician looked my wife right in the eyes and said, Peyton is perfect. Marlena took Peyton home. She laid her down for a nap. And five hours after her doctor proclaimed perfect health, she died in her sleep from sudden infant death syndrome. Was that more than I can handle? For sure. But here's what people would say to me after my daughter died. Well, everything happens for a reason. That sounds a lot like God caused this to happen because it's his plan. And if you study scripture, you'll see something in there, and it starts in the book of Genesis, by the way. God creates Adam, he creates Eve, and then he creates choice. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God planted that there, and he's like, Adam, Eve, if you eat from that tree, you will die. And then the serpent, later revealed as the deceiver, approaches them, the serpent gets them to question God's goodness. If God were really good, why would he keep that from you? And that really is the strategy of your spiritual enemy in your life. If Satan can get you questioning if God is good, he can kill the faith that lives inside of you. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He's like, if God was so good, why would he want to keep you from that? Pretty clever, isn't it? And so Adam and Eve, they made the choice. They did it their way because they didn't believe God was good. 
and creation fell. Now, why didn't God just pull the tree out? Wouldn't that just made things easier? Here's why I think he left it there. Because he wants a real love with you and me. He wants a real choice for you to have. Because is it real love if there is no real choice? Because if there's no real choice, then you might just be a robot executing lines of code in your programming. But God wanted you and I to have the ability to choose what we do with our lives. To see his goodness and then have the liberty to choose our response to his goodness. And that's what God did. And so that's why we have awful things happening, taking place. It's not because God is causing all of it to happen. Right now, there are people in the nation of Ukraine that every night they go to sleep wondering if Russia is gonna lob another missile at them. That's because there's an evil idea unfolding in the heart of a leader. That's why that's happening. It's not because God is causing it to happen. There's a verse in the book of Romans, chapter eight, verse 28, that we're all gonna read together out loud. It'll be up on the screen for us to read. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Another translation said, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. It does not say God causes all things. It says that he causes all things to work together. So does everything happen for a reason? No, and the next slide is gonna show you the truth. God gives a purpose to everything that happens. In 2011, my daughter passed away. It was crushing. In 2014, we bought a house. Well, technically we borrowed it from the bank. And then in 2018, I'm sitting in my Lazy Boy and my phone rings and it's my mother-in-law who I genuinely like. And some of you are like, he speaks of miracles. No, it's true, I like, I like my mother-in-law. Let faith rise, church. And so I, I'm sitting in my Lazy Boy and my phone rings, it's my mother-in-law. She said, did you hear the news? I said, what? She said, your neighbor's one-year-old daughter just passed away. And her daughter was brought to the same hospital that my daughter was brought to. And now, since 2018, we've been able to encourage each other. How in the world do we buy a house next door to a family that understands our pain? That's way above my pay grade. I don't understand the how, but I know who helped cause all of that to work together. It's God. And this is why you have to keep turning the page of your story. Because you don't know when God is gonna reveal the redemption of your story. You don't know when the prayer that you've been asking for, God, please bring my daughter back to you. You don't know when the fulfillment of that prayer request is gonna happen. You don't know when the healing is gonna take place. That's why you have to keep trusting. You have to keep turning the page of your story because God is good, even when life is not. And so if you trust that he's gonna give a purpose to this, it's gonna be good. It may not be good now, but it's gonna be good. You can make it. And that's the second truth. If the first truth is God will never give you more than he can handle, the second truth is he gives a purpose to everything that happens. And here's the third and final thought I'm gonna leave with you, and I'm just gonna say it. It'll be a statement that you'll see on the slide. Time heals nothing. 
What you do with time can heal everything. Have you ever heard someone say, time heals everything? If that were true, you'd never meet a bitter senior citizen, church. You'd never meet them. Time heals nothing. When I was in the eighth grade, I was trying to impress a girl playing basketball. I'm a terrible basketball player. It's a bad strategy. But I was like, she's there. I think she's cute. I'm going for it. And so I was dribbling the ball. I went to the basket. I tripped. I fell. In that moment, I herniated a disc in my lower back. Did I quit? No. Why? Because my crush was there. I had to impress her. I was in agony for the next 30 minutes. But I finished the game. I had to have surgery. And so in eighth grade, I had, I had the moment where my doctor said, we're going to perform. It's called a microdiscectomy. They're going to open up my back and go pull out the little piece of that disc and fix it for me. They didn't fuse it, but they had to fix it. Now, in the weeks leading up to the surgery, I was meditating on a lie, and the lie was this, I'm going to be paralyzed. Have you ever gotten in your own mind? Like, have you ever been there where you're, you're thinking a thought over and over, and you're like, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. And you don't know if it's really going to be bad, but you're like, this is going to be bad. And so for weeks, I was telling myself, I'm going to be paralyzed. This is going to be bad. And so the day comes, I get wheeled into the very warm operating room, and they had me covered with layers of warm blankies. No, I was wearing like a paper-thin hospital gown and rocking a hat. It was dumb. And they do the, Dan, I want you to count down from 10. Okay, just count down from 10. That's a joke. And I wonder if they have like a pool, like before every surgery, like how far do you think he's going to get? Oh, nine and a half for sure. Okay, let's go. And so I like count down from 10. I'm like, 10, nah, I was gone. Now, what thought did I think for weeks before the surgery? I'm going to be paralyzed. So when I woke up in the recovery room, what thought was I thinking? I'm paralyzed. So the doctor walks in. He's like, Dan, how are you? And I'm like, Bleh. and so he's like, I want you to move your legs. And I was convinced I was paralyzed. So what did I tell him? I can't he went Vesuvius. Like, he's like, what do you mean? Move your legs. He's yelling at me. And all of a sudden, I started moving all 10 of my little piggies. And I was like, my bad, doctor. And so I was okay. I was not paralyzed. But because I told myself that for weeks, guess what I believed? You are the most influential person in your life. Nobody talks to you more than you. So tell yourself the truth because you deserve to know the truth. And the truth is, time heals nothing, but what you do with time can heal everything. My response to the injury and then the surgery and then the rehabilitation after the surgery, my response in my rehabilitation is what gave me this health today. It wasn't time. In fact, within hours of my surgery, a very mean nurse walked in the room. And you want to know what she said? Get up. And I said, get behind me, Satan. No, I did not say that. I wanted to. She went and got friends. I was like, this is bullying. And then they helped me stand up, and I do this little slow lap. And I had that pole, you know, with the wheels on it. 
doing the shuffle. You know what I'm talking about? I was like, I've got a vapor trail coming off my shoulders. I'm flying. But that first lap was one of the most important steps in my health today. And here's what I want you to hear from me, loud and clear. I'm not telling you to get over your pain. I'm telling you to stand up in it. This isn't the end of your story. Yes, you were wronged. Yes, you've lost. And I'm sorry. Man, some of you have stories that break my heart. How do I know? Because I talk to people all the time, everywhere I go. People are carrying some of the hardest burdens and they're acting like they're fine. It's okay to not be okay because God's gonna work it out and it's gonna be okay someday. But what you do with time can heal, which means some of you, forgiveness is your healing rehabilitation. Some of you have been hurt and you've been lied about. People have spread gossip about you that is nowhere close to true. You have been betrayed. And what God needs you to do is to take a step of forgiveness. And forgiveness does not give them the right to do it again. In fact, it takes maturity to say, no, you can stay over there. Until you stop treating me that way, I'm not going to let you treat me that way. That's healthy. It's called boundaries. But forgiveness is you letting go of your right to get them back. Trust me, God is very good <laughs> at executing justice. Scouts honor. Like, <laughs> there's nobody better than God at executing justice. And he has eternity to execute justice. So he's going he's gonna to take care of it. He's going to handle it. He's got this. So as I land the plane, we're going to transition into a time where I'm going to ask you to talk in church. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you in your row to talk to your neighbor. And if you're not sitting next to someone, move and sit next to someone. But we're going to think about which of the three truths grabbed you the most. God would never give you more than he can handle. God gives a purpose to everything that happens or what you do with time can heal everything. Which one of those three grabbed you the most? And I want you to talk with your neighbor about this. Talk to the person next to you. And for the next five minutes, talk about it. And share your story. And take a step together with your neighbor. And then Pastor Kevin's going to come up and dismiss us.